We all have bucket lists. As a lifelong sports fan, mine is full of tons of different sporting events and venues, from the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and beyond. However, my greatest bucket list item is something I want to share with the world and fans like me. What if you could attend a home college football game for all 130 and counting FBS programs? Seems crazy, right? Join me, your host, Bobby Wilson, as I take you along for the ride to see all the FBS venues and more. This is the TNT College Football Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the very next episode of the TNT College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Wilson. Glad to be back on tonight. Hope everybody's doing well. Uh, tonight, I'm really excited to have as a guest, uh, Rene Ingoglia. Uh, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Bobby, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, my friend. Go ahead and tell the guests a little, about, a little bit about yourself. So, uh, I recently just turned 50, so I'm kind of, I guess I'm about to go through my midlife crisis. Uh, <laughs> I've been a college football analyst for ESPN. It's going to be my 13th year. I can't believe it. Um, I'm doing a really good job of just kind of flying under the radar, you know? Um, they keep renewing my contracts every year, so I have no complaints. Um, and prior to that, or I guess in addition to that, my main job, my real job, um, I was a, a police detective for the Orlando Police Department, and I had a little over 20 years of service with the Orlando Police Department. And then, so halfway through my police career, I kind of got into broadcasting, and uh, so I did both. And then prior to law enforcement, I like to say I had a cup and a half of coffee in the NFL. I played a couple years with the, with the Bills. Buffalo Bills, I was on the active roster one year, and then practice squad, I was on the practice squad with uh, Washington Commanders now, I can't say the other name, I guess that's offensive, um, but I was with, with Washington, and I played in the NFL Europe in 1999 too, uh, we won a World Bowl, Jake DeLome was our quarterback, so the last football game I've ever played in, um, got to score a touchdown, and got to win a, a championship and get a ring, so that was pretty cool, and in Europe in 99, when I was over there, I kind of knew it was kind of like a paid vacation for me. I, I didn't really think I was going to get a shot to go back into the NFL because I was with the, the teams um, in, in, in 96, 97, 98 was when I bounced around 99 NFL Europe. Like I said, kind of like a paid vacation. I wanted to get into law enforcement at that point in my life, so I kind of knew um, when I came back from Europe uh, I was going to try to just start my life, if you will, um, in getting into law enforcement. And, and ultimately I did because I was hired you know, six to eight months later by the Orlando Police Department. Moved down here um, and, you know, I ended up meeting my wife, married a couple kids, and so the rest is history. So I kind of kind of gave that backwards, and then obviously before that, I played my college ball at UMass, University of Massachusetts, so I had a good career there. So, uh, yeah, it's been great. So, yeah, kind of did it backwards, but I'm sure everyone got the gist of it. Absolutely, and you were more than kind of good as a college football player. You, you, you're a nominator for the College Football Hall of Fame this year. Congratulations, first of all. That's amazing. And what does that appreciate it? What, yeah. is, what does that right. honor mean mean for you? Yeah, I mean, it sounds cliche, but I, I do really mean this. Just to be nominated is an honor in and of itself. In and of itself, because a lot of people don't know this. So to be nominated. Um, uh, to even to, to make the ballot for the college football hall of fame, you had to have been a first team all American. So that eliminates a lot of guys already. Mm -hmm. So just to get nominated, it's awesome. And you know, you see the names. Now, if I got elected in the college football hall of fame, that would that would no doubt be the pinnacle 
that would be the biggest achievement uh, of my sports career. You know, I don't like to kind of compare sports with, you know, my my being married and my kids and stuff. That's kind of on a whole different level. Mm-hmm. But as far as my, my sports world goes, you know, if I got nominated or got, you know, elected into the college football thing, it would definitely be the biggest honor of my life. So we'll see. You know, I've been on the ballot a few years now. So um, I don't know. This is a new year, so you never know. This just an, an amazing thing to think about. Just to, I mean, to to be that great at your sport is just it, it, it's it's huge. Uh, you know, I appreciate it. And really, the funny thing is, I mean, people that don't know my story. So, the University of Massachusetts, uh, UMass, was the, it was the only Division One scholarship offer I got. I, I hurt my knee. I blew my knee out. Um, my ACL. My second game of my senior year oh, no. and so back in 19 holy cow 1990 it was 1990 it was uh yeah september of 90 is when i did it um acls back then were like taboo you you were you were kind of right out of luck man it's right. just different than it is today it was a year and a half rehab it was a major surgery and i had a lot of unofficial scholarship offers back then you know Syracuse University was was obviously a national power back then in the 90s you know they wanted me uh you know Penn State Boston College Wisconsin and they all dropped me um when I hurt my knee and really the the reason I got to UMass was because of Syracuse um the great late Hall of Fame is in the college football Hall of Fame Dick McPherson who was at Syracuse at the time, of course, coached the New England Patriots as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a UMass coach, was a coach of UMass back in the days as well. And so the head coach uh, in 1990-91 was Jim Reed, um, and who coached under Dick McPherson. And basically, Dick McPherson called up Jim Reed and said, hey, we were giving this guy a scholarship. He blew his knee out. No one's going to touch him now. You know, if he comes back to half of what he was, it'd be worth it. You guys give them a scholarship because you know UMass uh, Division One AA is a little you know smaller Division One. So yeah, Jim Reed gave me a scholarship based on what Dick McPherson told him. So yeah, the only offer I got and went there and made the most of it. That's awesome, and I, I can speak to that too. Like as a former coach myself, how how it, certain certain kids get offers because of what a coach says about somebody. So I, I've been there and I've done that. I, I it I've I've seen it. And, and, you know, I'm back, you know, again, playing in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, there's no internet, there's mm-hmm. no YouTube, there's no highlights, there's no, you know, if your name, I tell people this all the time, if your name was in, like, the paper on Saturday after a Friday night game, that was, like, a big deal. Holy cow, if your picture was in the sports section, I mean, that was, like, out of this world. And I think there was, like, uh, I, I want to say, uh, well, it was, like, a, I forgot the name of it, but, like, a sports prep magazine. Um, there was like one magazine where they kind of tried to rank the players, but again, there was no national TV for high school games. There was nothing like we have today. Right. Um, so it's just it's just it was a d- different time. Um, a lot a, a lot simpler time, I will say that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so but if you if you had a major injury, you were you were in trouble back in those days. So yeah, I'm very thankful to, to the late great Dick McPherson that he was able to call Coach Reed. And, Give me that one scholarship. Only t- I tell my daughters it only takes one. You don't need fifty offers. You just just takes one. That's true. And, and preferably the right one. That's true. You're exactly right. And you, you, speaking of your highlight tape, you created one and put it out on Twitter. And I, it, I mean, 
it was super impressive. I mean, your speed was something else, and and to hear that you tore your ACL and still had that type of speed is pretty impressive. Yeah, so it's funny that segues in perfectly because I was just thinking the other day. I said, you know, I'm nominated for the Hall of Fame, and like even all the people I worked with at the Orlando Police Department for 20 years, I'm like, I'm not on YouTube. You just you can't put my name in. Because there was no highlights back then. I mean, mm-hmm. no one's actually ever seen me play. So, honestly, with the iPhone, and I didn't even know this. Like, so with the iPhone, most people will know this. You can't um, record something, pause it, and then keep going. You can't do that. I didn't know that. So, my daughter showed me an app. You know, you got to go to a 17-year-old, right, for that stuff. So, right. she showed me an app, and I just kind of set it up. Because I have, a, you know, I had some... VHS tapes, obviously, of me playing, and that's all I did. I shot it on regular VHS. You know, I, and it was funny. We don't even have a VCR hooked up. I asked my wife, and I like climbed through like three closets, and I found a VCR that was in a box, and it still worked. And you know, put the VHS tape in there, put the tripod. It's actually the tripod that my daughter does TikToks on, right? Because they gotta have a <laughs> tripod with lights, and just set it by the TV, and just I knew Twitter was like two minutes and twenty seconds, and it ended up being perfect. It was about a two minute and sixteen second video. You know, I picked some plays out and did it. And it's actually, I just checked today because I was curious. It's got fourteen thousand views in social media. So it was, yeah, it's pretty cool. And just you know, to answer your question, I, I just always had good speed. Um, and you know, people ask, "What did you do growing up?" I said, "I was a kid. I played." Yeah. And that's what our kids have lost today. And that's right. the advice I give people. You know, don't, don't, if your kid's a basketball player, that's great. Just don't let him or her play basketball. Let them play football in the fall. And if they, you know, if, if you have an issue with the contact, let them play soccer and let them play baseball or softball. Like, play multiple sports. It works all your different muscles. It just helps your hand-eye coordination. And I just, I can't impress that enough on people. Um, you know, when I, when I hear kids say, oh, my, my, my people say my, kid's a baseball player and he's a pitcher and that's all i'm like no for the love of god please he can end up specializing in baseball but let him play football and let mm-hmm. him you know do other sports and run track and and really just out there playing running jumping i, I think you know that's where i got my speed from of course it's god given i'm gonna thank my parents because that stuff you either have it or you don't but, right you, know, you enhance it the best you can so and but you, you hit the nail on the head too so you know, before the knee injury, obviously I was fast, and then after the knee injury, I was worried. But you know, I had a really good doctor. Um, I'm from—I should have said this when I was kind of introducing myself. I'm from Rochester, New York, originally, so that's where I went to high school. Um, they have a really good hospital up there, Strong Memorial Hospital, affiliated with the University of Rochester, and had a really good orthopedic surgeon, Kenneth DeHaven, and you know, that was the first thing he put me back together right and then when i rehabbed after my knee surgery i didn't rehab just to kind of get back and get functional i rehabbed to get back as a player and i think that paid dividends for me and so yeah my first year back at at umass in my first playing year because i registered in 91 92 i wore a brace and then after that year i didn't have a brace and uh, yeah i didn't you know knock on wood i didn't, didn't lose any speed um and i just think that's a tribute to again working really hard in the rehab process from the beginning absolutely i can speak to that too i've had a couple knee injuries and knee surgeries and everything so i i can i actually had to quit playing myself because of knee injuries so i i i completely understand where you're coming from 
Yeah, the knee, you know, that's the thing, too. The human body and what we put it through as athletes, like, mm-hmm. it just really wasn't made for that, especially the knee right. with what we do. And actually, I just got cleaned up in February. I had knee surgery again. So it's like my fourth or fifth. I had to go in there and had cartilage medial and, and lateral cartilage torn. But I tell you, I'm going to knock on my head, knock on wood, because it feels great. So I've been Good. working out again. I hit 50, as I said, so... Wanted to get in shape. Now, I can't run like I used to, but I did jog five miles today, so felt pretty good. Hey, that's impressive in itself. <laughs> yeah, at a very slow pace, but it's impressive that the knee let me do it. So, right. you know, day by day. I also love something that you that you were saying earlier about the specialization in sports. I, I agree wholeheartedly that with you that kids need to play multiple sports because I think, I think you see a lot more injuries now because kids are playing the same sport and using the same muscles so much. No doubt about it. I just got in this conversation with a parent because there's a local high school here in Orlando and I won't say the high school and they have a really good baseball team. I believe they won States here and really good. So I was told that the coach holds it against his players that play football in the fall because oh, they have no. fall baseball here in Florida. He wants them playing fall ball. And I'm just thinking, like, that is the stupidest thing in the world. Absolutely. Because, actually, some of the best baseball players ever play football, too. I mean, it's just, it, it really, it goes hand in hand. It keeps you from getting burned out at a young age. You're using different muscles, different hand-eye coordination. Just, you know, it's just, it makes you an overall better athlete. So, when I hear coaches today um, say, yeah, you really just need to concentrate on your sport. It really, really upsets me. And I, I had that issue. So I have two daughters. I have one that'll be a sophomore in college. She plays Division two soccer at Lynn University, which is in Boca Raton, Florida. Um, and I have one that's, that'll be a senior in high school. And so they play club soccer because club soccer, for those who don't know, that's what the colleges recruit. They don't recruit high school. High school is kind of more like laid back it's the clubs that they recruit and you know they play in the elite clubs and and so really as a as a female soccer player my daughters and and all of them for that matter the club the season never really ends there's a there's a there's a summer season and fall and they give them a little time off for high school down here because down here soccer is a winter sport um and then it's back to the spring and so like they're always playing soccer so i've dealt with it with my daughter that's going to be a senior, she, she was having burnout. And I, and I totally get it. I totally understand it. And my other daughter's in college. She went through it too. So mm-hmm. it, it's tough. So I don't, I don't like the fact that these clubs do that. I think it monopolizes uh, these players and they do it on the men's side too, but I just think it causes burnout. It causes kids that they just, they don't want to play the sport anymore. And again, I think you're a more well-rounded athlete if Hey, you know, they can run track in the spring or they can play, lacrosse or a different sport um than just soccer so that's my pet peeve when it comes to uh club sports hey i'm right there with you (laughs) so like you said you played in the nfl for a couple years and in nfl europe how how was it playing at that level it was great i mean it's it's you, you hear the same thing I think for everybody, if you when you're asking this question, when they step out of the field, this in it, it again it goes into what we were just talking about. The speed, the quickness, the speed of the game changes. It's just everything is so much faster, um, and it's a job, right? You need mm-hmm. to, you know, you need to show up to work. So I, you know, I was really good at, in that in that aspect. I mean, I showed up and and uh, played, and, and a lot of it for like a guy like me. 
for a if you're a late round draft pick or a free agent, a lot of it is timing, being in the right place in the right time. It's not that you're not good enough to play because there's a lot of guys that were good enough to have you know substantial careers in the NFL that never did because they just didn't get into the right situation, right? And mm-hmm. and it's hard sometimes. Yeah, you, know, you just you, know, you get drafted and it just it doesn't work out. You know you're you're you know, low on a depth chart, and they end up cutting you because it's a business after all, and you just can't catch that team. And then you see guys, you know, free agents, perfect example, because he played when I did, Wayne Corbett, who played at Hofstra, ended up having a fantastic NFL career mm-hmm. with the New York Jets, right? And just was in the right position, right place, dynamic player, and now had a great career. I mean, he could have, you never know, gone somewhere else, and it didn't work out, and he just would have never gotten that shot. So a lot of it's Timing, and I tell people too to explain it to them. You know, a guy like me that's a free agent, and there's thousands of players like me. They're not really investing any money in you. If they give you a bonus, it's it's a minimal bonus. Mm-hmm. And if you're going up against, let's say, a third or fourth round pick, um, they're giving a substantial bonus to that player and investment. Not to mention the the ego and pride factor because their personnel they drafted him. So, you know, if I'm a running back and I'm a free agent and they bring in a rookie, let's say it's a fourth-round pick, monetarily their investment's way more, right? Right. And then, of course, the ego thing. So I try to explain to people, if you're even as running backs, if you're as good as him, he's not better than you, that's not good enough because of what they have invested in that player. You have to be really better than that player for Mm -hmm. them to be able to bite the bullet and cut someone that they just gave a bunch of money to. So, you know, the the deck's kind of always stacked against you as an undrafted free agent or like a seventh-round pick. But if you find the right place and and, and you work your tail off, you can have have a good career in the NFL. We see it each and every year. We see guys that, that come out that surprise people. But, yeah, I just think, you know, the speed of the game, um, you know, as far as again, like I said, it's your job, so you're gonna you're gonna study the playbook. And even, I mean, heck, it's been what over twenty years, twenty five years since I played. The offenses are a lot different now, um, so I can't really speak to that because everything is is you know I've got different verbiage. But again, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the overall speed and what you're gonna deal with is, is the biggest. And really, you know, when I say speed, everyone just automatically thinks like wide receivers. No, I'm talking about. You know, defensive linemen right. that are three fifteen. You know, that can run sideline to sideline ridiculously. I'm talking about middle linebackers. Uh, you know, that are phenomenal. You know, safeties that you know 25 years ago. You know, they would have been defensive linemen. Though, you know, the bodies are bigger, stronger, and everybody's faster. Right. I just watch NFL games now, and you just see like these giant, like you're saying, these giant defensive linemen just flying around the field, and you're just like, how, how is this possible? <laughs> Yeah, and when I call, when I call, because, you know, we've always had fast skill guys, right? You've always right, had the wide right. receivers that could fly and the running backs. And we've always had quarterbacks with cannons for an arm. Um, the biggest difference that I see now calling college football games uh, weekly is, is like the interior line play, the defensive, the speed of defensive linemen. Um, it's ridiculous. And then the size of the linebackers that can run. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, you got you got free safeties now in college where, you know, five, ten years ago they would have been defensive ends. And they're but they're big enough, you know, they're two twenty five, two thirty back there and they can run. So that to me that's this you know, the biggest thing. 
Right. I, I just always think back to Jordan Davis running the 40, and you're just like, how? It's ridiculous. How? I mean, what, what was he, like 340? Right. Right? I mean, it's just ridiculous. And and just and that's straight ahead. His, his lateral speed right. was ridiculous right. as well. I mean, that, that you know, it's, it's just crazy to think a human that big can run that fast. And, oh, by the mm-hmm. way, he's going to hit someone, you know. So right. it's straight <laughs> physics right there. He's right. going to win. Right. <laughs> But you said before you pl- you played at UMass, and uh, what's your fondest moments of playing there? Yeah, you know, and, and because it was the only place that offered me a scholarship, to me, just the uh, the camaraderie of what UMass was when I was there. And so when I, I played in the Yankee Conference, and mm-hmm. it just seemed like UMass was everybody's rival, right? Everyone wanted to beat UMass, right? So you know. Some of the teams, the schools, which don't even have football anymore, like, you know, when we played Boston University, I mean, they always got up for UMass. New Hampshire always got up for UMass. Maine, Rhode Island, you mentioned it. There ended up being a great, great little rivalry with the University of Delaware. You know, it just, it just seemed like it didn't matter. UConn, of course, mm-hmm. who says that UMass is not a rival and, you know, shouldn't be. They're nuts. It's 45 minutes away at the two campuses. You got the State University of Massachusetts, State University of UConn. How and I mean, they do play. They're going to play. They, right. they should play every freaking year. They should years. play every so, year. So you know, that's those are my fondest memories. Just the matchups, and then I was, you know, obviously, I, I wasn't a flashy running back. I was just kind of like, you know, I like to just go use the speed, one or two cuts, and go. And I always, I always lived with my offensive lineman because I wasn't an idiot. I knew, you know, I knew where my my bread was buttered. Right, you gotta. Mm-hmm. You've got to keep the offensive lineman happy. I mean, you're only, any running back that's worth his weight and salt will tell you he's only as, as good as his offensive line. So I always lived with my offensive lineman. Um, and so I always thought of myself as, as just an offensive lineman trapped in a running back's body. Like, I try to play with that mentality. So, you know, I, I just – I miss that, you know, the camaraderie, um, the togetherness um, that was UMass football. Absolutely, and – and UMass made some changes this year. They brought in Don Brown, who I'm a huge fan of because I grew up in Flint, Michigan. My dad went to the University of Michigan, so I'm a big Michigan fan. And I've, and I've been a big fan of his, and I think he's going to do really good things there. What, what are your thoughts on yeah. the, the well, team? Yeah, what, what's Donnie Brown always say, and I think this got shown at Michigan, solve your problems with aggression. Mm-hmm. And that's the truth. Now people get all, oh, you can't say that. We're talking about football sense, people. Football. Right. We're not talking about walking down the street. So, you know, and so Donnie Brown used to coach. It's funny. So before UMass made the transition to FBS, okay, and they were F- they were in FCS power. I mean, they were right. You know, they won the national championship in in '98. Donnie Brown got them there as a head coach. I don't even know what year it was. A few years later, uh, they didn't win it. Um, and I think he got nervous, and I'm, I mean, I'm not speaking for him, just my opinion. I think if he would have stayed there, they would have transitioned, and he would have just stayed as a head coach. But I think, you know, there was so much stuff up in the air, and I think that's really why he left. So the fact to get him get him back, um, he's comfortable. He knows the place, obviously knows it well. His family does. You know, he's, you know, it usually takes – coaches you know a couple of years to quote unquote change the culture to the way they want it mm-hmm. i think he's going to do it quicker um and the funny thing is we have obviously a, a ton of mutual friends i've never met donnie i've talked to him so i actually did 
last year I did the Arizona, because he was a defense coordinator in Arizona last year, I right. did the Arizona-USC game. So obviously I did, a, you know, I talked to him on Zoom and, and so got to talk to him. Um, one thing about Donnie Brown is, and honestly, you know, seeing him at Michigan all those years, you know this, he's, his defenses are going to be super aggressive. Right. Um, his teams are going to be disciplined, and they're not going to quit. They're going to work hard. He's a, he's an, he's an old-school coach that's fitting in in today's world, which is mm-hmm. hard to do, Bobby. It's really hard to do. I mean, you know, you can't grab guys by the face mask anymore. You can't smack him in the helmet. It'll cause a freaking national scandal. Right. But you can, but you still have to coach guys in the world of football tough and different than you do in other sports. You just have to. Right. And he's he's been able to do it in a way where I think the, the you know the the kids are liking it and understand it that nothing nothing good comes easy and you have to work hard. And I think it's really hard for some of the some of the older coaches to bring that old school mentality to to twenty twenty two now. Um, you know, you have some of the newer coaches that don't really bring that because they never had it. So it's an interesting dynamic in coaching today. But a guy like Donnie Brown, um, I, I think he can do really well at UMass. I do. At the end of the day, though, um, it's not rocket science. Um, it's it's Jimmy's and Joe's. It's really yep. not the X's and O's. You have to recruit players. Mm-hmm. You have to recruit players. I mean, there's a reason why – the Alabamas of the world, the Ohio States of the world, the Michigans, the Clemsons are good year after year. They just keep bringing player after player after player. And I tell people all the time, when you're in Alabama and you bring in a class, let's say 25 players, and let's say you have, you know, I don't know, eight five-stars, ten four-stars, whatever. Put as many stars as you want. Right. You have the luxury that you can you can miss on three or four of those guys. It doesn't matter because you have so many. Because inevitably you're going to miss. Recruiting is right. not a science. But when you're a group of five or you're a, a, a team, you know, you're a Vanderbilt in that conference, and maybe you only get one or two four stars if you're lucky. You can't miss on those guys. You better hit on them, right? right, right. And so I think that's the that's the battle. I think that all these other schools have is. They have to be more precise in the recruiting, whereas, you know, the Texas A&M's, they get so many stars that, hey, you guess what we missed on a guy? All right, he's, get, he's going to the transfer portal. He's leaving, you know. Right. And, and, again, we haven't even talked about the transfer portal, which is another a whole other uh, <laughs> dynamic that's really changed college football. And I think we're really going to see the, the mix of it, the, the, a big change in it, this year, for sure, because there's just going to be I mean, the hardest thing. So I did. I worked the American Athletic Conference media days last week, and prepping for the media days, the hardest thing for me was trying to find out who's where, who's on, who's got yeah. who on a team. Because you can look at Phil Steele, you can look at all the magazines you want, but inevitably there's people transferring in the last minute that's not in. You know, the magazines missed. I mean, so it, it, that was the hardest thing. Is like. Who the hell is all playing on these teams? Like, oh, they were over there. Oh, they're here now. So, yeah, it's going to be real interesting this year with that. Absolutely. I, I, what are your thoughts on the transfer portal? I'd be, I'd be real interested to hear. So, listen, I, I, I was, you know, I get COVID what it did. Okay, I kind of mm-hmm. get it. Like, I lived through that with my older daughter because the recruiting process was devastating for her with COVID. And then she gets to a school and oh, by the way, the NCAA says, Oh, everyone can keep 
their eligibility. So now you're right. going to, you know, none of the none of the schools could give up any scholarship money or roster space because they had so many super seniors or super super seniors. So it was it's kind of like a train wreck. Um, but I understand why they did it. My thing with the transfer portal is, um, and I talked to someone about this other day. The other day, so you have the transfer portal and you have NIL. They should really be separate, two separate absolutely uh, issues. They've now morphed into to to kind of one, right? We see mm-hmm. that, right? The NCAA says, well, you you can't, you're not transferring for NIL. Well, we know damn well guys are transferring because of NIL. We know right. that, right? right? We saw, you know, Jordan Addison. I did the Pitt spring game. I think he transferred a week after I did it. I mean, the kid was, you know, best, arguably the best wide receiver in the country, one of the best wide receivers, a standout year at Pitt. Mm-hmm. You know, they win the ACC championship. I mean, great year. And he's probably sitting there with his people around him, and they said, well, let's go to USC and, and see what we can do there. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty certain the Pitt collective matched the money that he was going to get at USC but at the end of the day, he probably figured, well, I'm going to go to the West Coast, Lincoln Riley, and I don't even know if Lincoln Riley was the coach then. I think he was. But, yeah, but so that kind of stuff, it's just, it's tough, right? Because, right. I, I, listen, I'm not against NIL. If you can make a boatload of money on your name, image, and likeness, you should. Now, Absolutely. the original intent of NIL, I think people lose this, too. The original intent of NIL was, hey, the NCAA – your university, they're making money off your jersey. Perfect example, Tim Tebow. How many number 15 jersey, Florida right. jerseys were sold? Everybody knows that's Tebow. It just didn't say Tebow on the back. Mm-hmm. That's really what NIL was put for. You should be able to make money off your name, image, and likeness. The video games, right? Caused right. it as well. You know, that's really what it was. Now it's morphed into, hey, you know, you're going to play at a school, and there's a collective, and they're going to give you a car, and so it's morphed into a lot of a lot different, um, and there's really it's different state to state, and you know you just cringe when you think, oh God, the federal government's going to get involved because they usually screw everything up. But right. but right now it's like the wild wild west. So we'll see. To get back to your original question with the transfer thing, my, this is what I think should happen, and, and what do I know? Um, I think, and I think this would really. And here's the other thing too, Bobby. Look at no one wants to talk about this. Look at the thousands of players that are in the portal right now with nowhere to go. Right, right. No one, no, no one wants to talk about them. Yeah, sure. The stars, the quarterbacks, the star players—they're going to find a home. There's, there's literally, I think there was like four thousand players in the mm-hmm. portal. All, I think all divisions, nowhere to go because there's only so many roster spots. So my thing is, if I ran college football, if I was the czar, if I was the commissioner of college football, I would say, here you go. Um, you're, we're going to go back to the one-year transfer rule, meaning if you transfer, you have, you have to sit out a year. Okay? You have to, you cannot play immediately. And I think that will automatically people are like, well, no, I'm not going to go sit out a year. Right. The caveat I would say is, because the, the, the bitching that everyone made was, well, the coaches leave, right? The coaches make big money and they leave. Right. And the players get screwed. I get that. So my caveat would be transfer and sit out a year. If you're coach, you're not, you can you can say head coach, you can say coordinators, you can say position coach, you can do whatever you want. But if your coach leaves while you're there or is fired, then you give them you know a three month window, four month window, whatever you want, two month window, whatever is feasible. You then can transfer immediately without penalty and play the very next year. 
I think that would quiet it down a little bit. I don't think everyone would just jump into the transfer portal because they think the grass is greener on the other side or their uncle Jimmy Bob says, you should be starting, the coach is wrong, you shouldn't be fourth team because at the end of the day, you know, every high school player in America today, and we kind of talked about this, right? And, and my network does it. On national TV, they have recruiting, you know, networks and recruiting yeah. magazines and recruiting shows and they're all pampered. You know, I work, I work, I do sideline in the practice. We put the Under Armour All-American practices on TV, and it's great, and they're tremendous athletes. Mm-hmm. But every single one of them was the best of the best, right, and were treated that way. And so inevitably what happens is they go, I'm going to go to Alabama. And then they get to Alabama, and they're like, holy cow, uh, everybody's really good. Everybody here. else is the same. So now they don't under. So now when they're the third string defensive end, it's never happened to them before. Everybody that's been around them says you should be starting. You're the best. That's all he's ever heard. Instead of saying, "Hey, coach, what can I do to get better? Right. What can I do to move up the depth chart? I want to work hard." They, They get hit. A lot of these kids get hit with a situation they've never had, and then immediately what they do is, well. It's not me, it's the coach. He's wrong. They go in the transfer portal, and now you have 4,000 people sitting in the transfer portal. Right. So I, I just think if, if, if they couldn't play right away, I think a lot of these kids would work through their issues, whether Absolutely. it be working harder, studying harder, the playbook, academics, class, whatever their issue is, talking to a coach. Here's another thing too, Bobby, and I yell at my kids about this all the time. Uh, kids today, the, the culture we live in, they have a hard time looking at someone in eye to eye, shaking their hand and having a conversation. They wanna they wanna right. be in the same room with them, they'd be more comfortable texting them. Yep. You know? So I think that's a lot of issues that players have today, speaking with their position coaches or talking, you know, their coordinators to work issues out. Instead it's like, no, you're wrong, I'm going to the portal. And then a lot of them get stuck in there. So yep. um, there's some fixing that needs to do. To, to be done, but I, I think that would help out a lot in, in the transfer transfer issue. That's just you know what I think uh, would be my band aid, if you will. I absolutely agree, and I, I've I've said that as well. I think that that's I think that that's that and, and, and it and it doesn't affect NIL, right? It's a right. total separate entity. We're not even talking about NIL, so I, yeah, I, I would I would love something like that to happen. Absolutely, I just think about my time as a coach, and I I, I look at it now, and I'm like. I, I'm I'm kind of happy that I'm not coaching because of some of the stuff going on with NIL and 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 I'm for NIL I am as well. Yeah. But the transfer portal stuff I think it it makes it extremely hard as a coach because how do you build a culture when half your team's just going to leave? Well, and not only that. So now put yourself and we'll use college football, right? Right. Put yourself as a head coach. So you're it's you're not just recruiting the players once now. You have to constantly recruit them, right? They're on your team because you don't want them to leave. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. Then now your whole recruiting department, and, you know, I say department um, because we're talking about the Alabamas and Ohio Skates, right? And they're smaller schools, too. Now you have to look at the transfer portal. That has to be part of your recruiting, right? Mm -hmm. So you talk about culture. So then where's the fine line? Because you want to build your team with freshmen, right? And build up. But yet, you're going to take transfer portal. I mean, so it's kind of a mess right now for the coaching ranks of really kind of figuring out 
um, you know, the best way to go about this. And really, and then, of course, the quarterback situation. I mean, that's where, where, where you're really coddle, coddling guys. And I get it because, you know, if you're in a quarterback battle, right, at a school, then obviously you're good enough to play, right? Right. And at the end of the day, the coach has got to pick one or the other. And so now you're sitting there and you're like, I just lost a hard-fought battle. And you know as well as I do, there's not supposed to be tampering, but somebody talked to somebody, talked to somebody, talked to somebody, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden this kid's dad finds out that, hey, there's like four schools that said if you transfer right now, you'll be playing there in two weeks once you learn the system, right? right. So the coaches are battling that too, and that happens. Absolutely. And so, you know, and then that's why it was kind of refreshing when you saw someone like a Mac Jones just say, I'm going to stay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stay behind you. I'm going to stay. I'm going to wait my turn. And then the kid, I mean, it couldn't have happened any better for him, right? Right. I mean, so, and now, I mean, New England Patriots, I mean, that, that's a, that's, and you can say, yeah, that was, that's an exception, but that's how it's supposed to work, that, right? And, right. But, you know, it's easy for me to sit here and say, I get it. They're tough decisions players have to make, um, you know, especially at the quarterback position. I mean, I, I do understand that. Absolutely. I, I mean, I look at a guy, I'm a, I'm I'm a huge fan of Grayson McCall, and I look at him and like, yep. he he could he could have very easily went to you name the school, and the fact that he stayed at Coastal Carolina and is committed to the them and that program speaks volumes yeah. to, to to his. I character. think I've done in the last couple of years because of COVID, I ended up doing a lot of coastal games. I think I've seen him in person four times, and you're you're on the money. I'm just. So impressive, and you're right. There's a guy, the kid that probably could have transferred almost anywhere in the country, but he stayed loyal to Coastal Carolina, and I can't wait to see what he does this year. But yeah, he's, yeah I'm a, definitely a fan of his. Absolutely. Let's let's segue into uh, your your other role that you had. You you're a retired police detective, like you said, for, of 20 years. How, how did you get into that line of work? So I always so when I went to UMass. I had this, like, delusion that I was going to be a doctor, okay? (laughs) So, my freshman year, um, I took my degrees in kinesiology, okay? Okay. Um, So, I took the degree that had all the prerequisites for for pre-med, medical school, and all that stuff. And I really, really busted my ass my first year. And I got a 3.0, which for me was, like, amazing. Like, my coaches thought, like... 3.0 3.0 in kinesiology. This kid's a genius. Needless to say, it, it declined from there. But <laughs> what happened was, I had a whole year. So I had I had 30 credit hours oh into my. this this major. You know, 15 my first semester, 15 second yeah. semester. So I get to sophomore year, and I'm like, I don't really want to be a doctor. I kind of want to just go a different direction. But I didn't want to throw those 30 credit hours away. Right. So I said, you know what? At the end of the day, I'm going to gut this degree out. I'm going to get the degree. And anyone that knows anything about the workforce now, anyway, I mean, as long as you have the degree, right. they're going to train you in whatever it is. So, yeah, so I just gutted that degree out. And then about halfway through my, you know, college career, I just, I just, I thought, you know, law enforcement was what I wanted to do. Now, I always wanted to do that from when I was a kid. When I was in college, I, I, I you know, I wanted to be a federal agent. I think everyone gets, you know, oohed and odd with the movies and TV shows, FBI agent, Secret Service, and so I wanted to do that, um, but when I got done playing, so like I said, 
in 99, when I went to NFL Europe, I, I just said, yeah, it's kind of a paid vacation. And paid vacation, I mean, we made $1,000 a week. We weren't, you know, but it was paid for and get to live in Europe. And but when I, So when I was over there, I was actually in the process of, like, applying to federal agencies, uh, DEA, Drug Enforcement Administration, and so forth. But 1999, obviously pre-9-11, mm-hmm. 2001, by a couple of years, the, the feds, there was all hiring freezes going on. I had a good friend that was a U.S. Marshal. I wanted to be a U.S. Marshal. There was just hiring freezes. Like, no one was hiring. So I was like, okay. And then when I came back from Europe, I'll never forget. And I, I say never forget a lot of my podcasts. People make fun of me. Um, but uh, I was up in Boston, and it was July. And a former teammate of mine, uh, Anthony Kettering, quarterback at UMass, is from Orlando. And played at Boone High School down here. And I remember him coming up to me saying, hey, I know you wanted to get into law enforcement. My stepmom's a detective with the Orlando Police Department. They are at a big hiring kick right now. If you have a four-year degree, they're hiring like crazy. So it's just total Murphy's Law. I said, eh, what the hell? I'll apply. I I didn't think anything of it. And they literally hired me like six months later. You know, I went down, I took the test, and Mm -hmm. I did all that. And I said, okay, I guess I'll move to Orlando. And then my thought was, and I did have an opportunity, my thought was do a couple years um, as a police officer and then then move on, um, become a federal agent. But then I ended up, you know, life got in the way. I I met my wife and got married, and so been there ever since. And then, you know, the good thing about being uh, a police officer in a municipality, a good-sized city, is... There's a variety of things to do, you know, and I tell people this because, you know, people come up to me and they're like, hey, I want to be a cop, but I just want to be a detective. Like, "Eh, that's not really how it works. Like, you have to start off in a police car, you know, riding the beat, midnight patrol. Like, you have to become a patrol officer. That's the, the nuts and bolts of law enforcement. That's where you learn everything. You cannot be a good detective unless you start as a patrol officer, preferably working midnight patrol. At three in the morning, when everyone's sleeping, right. you know, when you're running and gunning and you're chasing drug dealers, and you're just you're learning stuff, you're taking calls for service, and so you have to do that. And I, I enjoy it. Um, but then the good thing is, and once you get that time in, then you figure out, okay, you know, I like it. I, I could, you know, and there's people that that are patrol officers for twenty years. You know, they'll go to day shift. It slows down a little bit for them. They're taking a lot of over with calls. But then there's people that say, you know, I, I really like writing tickets or, or or doing accident reports. And they'll go to like a motors unit, right? And maybe ride a motorcycle and do that part. There's other guys that said, man, I really like arresting drug dealers. They go over to the drug enforcement division. So there's all different things you can go. And then mm-hmm. obviously criminal investigations as a detective. And so I, you know, that's where, you know, I was, a, I was, um, a tactical officer, patrol tack officer, where you could just be proactive. We, drove unmarked cars and that was really you know a good job and i did that for a couple of years but it was in that last year there i said you know i think i really enjoy being a detective so uh at my eighth year in the agency i became a detective so really over half my career i was a detective and you kind of move through you know you start out at least in orlando you start out um when you when you get you know there's a there's a process to become a detective and you have to be accepted. So when you start out, you start out as a property crimes detective, which would be like, you know, uh, over over with burglary, someone breaks in your house, car, you know, someone breaks into your car. and So that's where you really learn because at the end of the day, if you screw a case up, yeah, the person's going to be pissed at you that their property got stolen, but, you know, it's not life or death. So you kind of learn right. everything that's property. And then 
you fan out from there. And then from there, I went to violent crime and did assault and battery. Um, and then robbery is really where I did the majority of uh, becoming a, a detective. So I really, really enjoyed that um, and, and kind of did that for the latter part of my career. Uh, I just think it's really interesting that you were able to do that because, I mean, I, I watch the Dateline shows and different things like that, and you watch those and you just kind of see the you see that side of things, and it just is it's an interesting world. Well, and so you bring up a good point. So, like, basically, the pinnacle in my in my estimation is my opinion, but the pinnacle of detective work is obviously homicide detectives mm -hmm. and i think i think um we call it svu just like the tv show special victims which you're you're going to handle rapes and, and sex crimes i think th those are the pinnacles i could never do that because i traveled for football so i, I mm -hmm. kind of found like the perfect mix um with robbery and in doing uh broadcasting so people always ask you know how did you um get into broadcasting so right <laughs> I, I missed, you know, I loved law enforcement, but when I got to around 2007, right, all, right around the same time I ended up becoming a detective, um, I missed football. I mean, I, I missed football immensely. And my wife said, hey, you know, coach, and, and I did. I volunteer coached in high school. I helped my buddy coach Pop Warner for four straight years, flag football. I mean, I, I did. But I just, I missed it on... I, I wanted it on a, a bigger level. So, mm -hmm. you know, and at this point, I'm, I'm a cop for seven, eight years. I have two kids. I'm married. I live in Orlando. I can't call someone up and say, hey, I want to I wanna start coaching college football. I could have easily done that and got a job. But I'm actually, I wasn't in a position to leave, right, and right. become a coach um, starting over. So in 07, I got inducted into UMass Athletics Hall of Fame. So when I went up there, um, the induction ceremony is on a Friday. There's a football game on a Saturday. So I was the halftime guest. It was the first time I had ever put on um, headphones and, and actually talked. So I was the mm -hmm. halftime guest for radio. And I got done. I came out of there. I go, man, that was really cool. I really liked talking on the radio. And I was like, you know, broadcasting is something I never really thought about. But, you know, I, I understand the game pretty well. I got a pretty good background. I said, I think I could do this. So just to not bore you and fast forward it, uh, I basically reached out to a bunch of people that through contacts and cold calls and everyone said the same thing. Hey, send me your demo, send me your demo. I'm like, yeah, I don't have a demo. I didn't know if I could audition. And now you really need a demo. So basically in 2008, after the 08 season, I basically reached out to UMass and said, hey, I want to get into broadcasting. I'm not looking to get anyone fired or anything like that, but... You know, I want to join the UMass Sports Network and do football on radio um, and just kind of break into the business. They're like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. They're like, well, we want you. But they're like, it's, we can't, you know, really afford to fly you up from Florida. I said, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll take care of it. And I talked about it with my wife. So in 2009, I basically, you don't like this, Bobby. So you want to talk about, like, mixing the two jobs. So. I was a property detective, right? I was an early detective. Mm -hmm. So I would work Monday through Friday, do my entire, you know, work. Every Friday night at 8.30, Southwest Airlines had a flight from Orlando to Manchester, New Hampshire. It was 
cheapest flight, direct flight, 8.30 at night. I would take that flight, I'd pay for it myself, fly to Manchester, rent a car on my own, and then from Manchester to Amherst, it's like, a, it's like an hour and 20 minutes, and I would drive that, get the rental car and drive it, and then one of my former teammates, uh, Dan Markowski, offensive lineman, of course, um, at the time was associate AD in charge of facilities. He lived right there with his wife and kids, and so I would drive to his house. I get to his house about midnight on Friday night, and I'd sleep in his basement. You know, we'd have a we'd have a soda pop and talk for a little bit, and sleep in his basement. And then I'd get up and I'd go to the stadium early in the morning, get my Dunkin' Donuts coffee, and uh, you know, and call the game on radio. And then get up on Sunday, fly back, and then do it again next week. And then if it was an away game, I would I would pay and rendezvous. So they ended up paying me. I, I joke. They ended up paying me when it was all said and done. I think I got $100 a game. So after what I paid for rental cars and flights, I was only negative about 400 a week. So, you know. But I, I, I knew going into that that I, it was an investment because I thought I would be able to morph it into – a career. Now, I got extremely lucky that I was able to get the demo to some people at ESPN. Um, and then that very next year, in 2010, I was able to get assigned three games on what's now ESPN Plus. It was ESPN Three. Mm-hmm. And then after those three games, uh, in, and then the next year, in 2011, they gave me a full slate. And then I just kind of moved up, moved up the ladder, you know, from working hard from from you know, ESPN three internet to been doing some, um, syndicated games because it was syndicated back then the big East network and then doing some national games, some national TV, and then just kind of kept working up to where I am today. So it's been, it's been interesting, but yeah, so I basically juggled the two careers. Then it, as you know, towards later in my career, when I was a better detective and a better broadcaster, and it was, it was widely known that I would do it. Basically, what I did was I worked Monday through Thursday. I would do 40-hour work weeks mm-hmm. in those four days, and then I would fly out on Thursday nights because obviously I would have bigger college games and right. you meet with the coaches and so forth and so on. But I like to call it controlled chaos. I basically did it for 10 years, um, and I didn't know any different. It just, it just, you know, it was, just became normal for me. I, I, I love that. I, I think that is that's so cool to me because I. I I look at myself when I was coaching, I had a regular, I had a job too. So I had to like juggle both. Like I was a college head, my head college basketball coach, but I'm only getting paid a couple thousand dollars and I still have to work another job. So it's like one of those things where you juggle it and to be able to do that at the scale you were doing it on being a police detective and a broadcaster. I just think that's amazing. And I, you know, I, I always give a lot of credit to my fellow detectives, um, they were great. They, you know, if I had an issue, they would always step in for me and and, and, and really help me. And so, and it was just, it's, it was one of those cool things that everyone thought it was cool that I did it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and it got to a point where, you know, in the beginning, it's funny, in the beginning, I didn't say anything. I just did it. I was one of those things where I was like, all right, I'd rather ask for forgiveness, right? And, mm-hmm. um, and then I just kept growing and growing and growing. And then it got to the point where, okay, I got to let people know. And they knew. And then got to the point where, you know, it's funny because every city, every police department has different policies on moonlighting. And so the department, obviously, in the city has one on moonlighting. But really what it is is it's for, you know, they don't want you moonlighting in that same 
uh, field in terms of like, well, they don't want you being a private detective or, you know, a bodyguard or something. Uh-huh. You know, when I, I remember meeting with legal, they just scratched their head because they're like, this is so outside, you know, the box of what you do. Like, but I did, I ended up signing all the paperwork, you know, that I had another job and so forth and so on. So then they got to the point where the mayor knows I did it. And like every, you know, everyone knew. So, um, you know, there was no hiding it. So it was, it ended up being good. That's awesome. <laughs> you, you host. You just started hosting a podcast, and I, I myself just started listening to it. I, I I've enjoyed the couple episodes I've listened to. Uh, can you tell tell us about that? Yeah, so it's called Professional Rookies, and so for the last couple of years, um, I've done different shows, like you know, shows like with you here. Mm-hmm. I'm doing one tomorrow night with some guys, and everyone always said, you know, do a podcast, do a podcast. You got to do a podcast, and so really the push was true crime because that is really that it's really big. moves the needle yeah. um in podcasts so when i retired i'm just kind of sitting around i said you know what you know let me let's do a podcast you know it's you know i'll get the equipment it's no big deal and so i got a buddy of mine who's still a current detective um he he was a homicide detective and he came in with me so, matter of fact, August 14th would have been my 22nd year if I was still with agency. He's still there, so he'll hit his 22nd anniversary. Um, and so I'm like, hey, let's do this podcast. And he's not the biggest sports guy, so people are always like, why did you bring him on as a partner? And I said, I like that. I just don't want two sports people, you know, agreeing. You know, he asks questions, and he's a really good mind uh, in the law enforcement world. Um so then the question was, okay, we call it professional rookies because we're professionals in our jobs, but we're rookies in, in the podcast world. So we're mm-hmm. just trying to figure out, and you know, like 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 you, Bobby, you know, you you're just trying to figure out, okay, what's too long of a podcast? What's too short of a podcast? Right. You know, what's the, what's the good topic? What do people want to listen to? So, and I just didn't want to do a football topic. And again, my partner's not a sports guy, not you know per se. So we just try to mix a little bit of football stuff, sports stuff with uh, law enforcement stuff um, and just kind of do that. Now, I will say this, so, and I announced it on my latest podcast, so oddly enough, my former agency, the Orlando Police Department, offered me a contract position. So they have these positions where um, they're basically part-time detectives where you know they have to find people that that have the experience, but it's just in hourly pay. There's no benefits or whatever. So it's really hard to fill those positions. Really, what do you do? You go try to get retirees. So I got approached, and so I accepted a position. So I will probably starting next week um, or next couple weeks, I will be investigating cold case homicides, so unsolved homicides. And I'm actually really looking forward to it. Um, So with that said, I think we're going to morph in – some of the the real life cases that Mm -hmm. I'm working with uh, a couple other detectives and actually probably present those cases on the podcast and then weekly, maybe update them. Right. And then mix in um, my travels with football season because people inevitably, they like the behind the scenes stuff. So I would like to maybe, you know, preview the game I'm going to do. And then that next week, come back and talk about that game um, much like you travel college football yep. campuses and stadiums, kind of talk about my experience at the stadium. So I'm just trying to kind of mix college football with, with law enforcement, and particularly uh, cold case homicide. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. 
So I'm actually looking forward to seeing this fall how, how it goes over. Well, I'll be listening. I look forward to that. I think that's going to be really cool. Appreciate it. Yeah, we'll see. So, yeah. Do you, do you know any of your game assignments yet for this season? Uh, not officially. So I do okay. know I will do a – and I haven't done one in three years, and I was really bummed that I haven't. I will be doing a high school kickoff game um, August 27th, which is week zero. So right. there's limited college games week zero. So I will be doing a high school game. Um so, like I said, the last one I did was 2019. So, I missed that because, one, it just kind of knocks the cobwebs off. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. that atmosphere of the high school kickoff is usually always a big deal for those games. So, I'll be doing that one. I will have a college game week one. Um, not official which one it is. Um, I um, Well, it hasn't come out yet. But um, I, think the, I think the release, I want to say the release for the – for the cruise, um, it's probably going to come out tomorrow. If I was a betting man, I would say ESPN is going to release it tomorrow. I'll probably be wrong. Um, we saw some stuff trickle out today about college game day, so I think the release will come out tomorrow with the assignments. I should be working with John Trippin, who was my partner last year. So for those that know, like last year, ESPN took a three select teams, packages, if you will, mm-hmm. and we called our games from home. Um and it really, it wasn't COVID-related. I just, you know, everyone, and I have, I'm sitting in it right now, everyone has a home studio now. So ESPN gave us all this equipment. Mm-hmm. I think it was just kind of, it was almost like a test, and I, this is just my opinion, no one's told me this. I just think it was kind of a test run to see, okay, you know, what's the what's the big, what's the cost difference, right, to do it from home? And at the end of the day, everything's cost. Um, right. I am happy to report I will be back on the road full-time. Because I, yeah. think, I, I think I traveled, a handful of times last year, but the majority uh, was from home. And it's, I've told my bosses, I'm not a fan of it. It just, it limits so much. I mean, we talk about the, the pageantry, right, of going right. to college stadiums. Yeah. Well, you can throw that right out of the window because you don't get any of that. You know, I'm in Orlando. My partner's in Las Vegas. It's just, it's, 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 it's just a very tough dynamic. Now, technology has proven that you can do it, right, if you have right. to, you know, right. with a COVID or if there's an issue. I mean, you can definitely do it, but... The experience all the way around, the broadcaster, producer, for the fan at home, for the players, for the teams, for everything, being on site. So, yeah, we'll be back on site full time. So, and I should be back with John again this year. So, looking forward to it because really, I've worked with John uh, the last two years, 20 and 21. Of course, 20 was just really decimated by COVID. Right. And then last year, again, we talked about, um, you know, doing it from our home studio. So I think I've only worked a game in person with John in two years, three times. Wow. So we, and, and still, and you're still kind of going up against COVID regulations and COVID issues. So, you know, we haven't really been able to like hang out. Like that's one thing that you do uh, as a broadcast team. And if you have a, have a sideline reporter or analyst as well, you do this. Um, and a lot of times with your producer and director, once you, you know, in the old days when you travel, you know, you get in there and, you know, Friday you'd have meetings with the coaches and then you go to a great dinner Friday night and whatever great college town you're in, there's always, the coaches will always give you a recommendation. Mm-hmm. And so you just, you're hanging out and meeting each other on that personal level, which really helps the broadcast. Right. And so John, John and I have not had that yet. So I am looking forward to that. I think that's going to help invaluable uh, with us as a team. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this year. Awesome. I love that you get to go out to games now because that's, I mean, that's how my whole thing got started. That's what I do. So 
Oh, and, and again, I, I am just like you guys that like to just travel and, and, and go. I love to see different stadiums. I love to see different campuses. And I think, again, I think it keeps us young because it mm-hmm. always – I'm 50, but I step on a campus and it just brings you back to your college memories, those great memories that, you know, now that you're 50, you say, God, I wish I could have – Wish I could have been like uh, you know Chris Farley and stayed in school for ten years, you know, college and not and not came out. But you know, once I tell my daughters all the time, I'm like, please do not rush life. Don't rush. Once once life starts, it does not stop. Yes. There's no timeout. The bills never stop. Nothing ever stops. It right. goes. So just don't rush it. Like I, that's the best advice. If there's any young people listening here. Just slow roll it. Take your time. Because when it starts, the clock starts and never stops. Amen to that. You're, you hit the nail on the head there. Well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go with the last question here. Do you, ha- do you have a favorite stadium, favorite venue that you've been to that you like? Or It doesn't have to be one. Maybe it's a couple. Yeah, so I, don't, I wouldn't say I have a favorite because I really do. I, I enjoy – college football and that's why like i think my bosses like me because i never bitch about my game assignments you'd be surprised people complain about game assignments right and you're like you're like really you're complaining about that game are you nuts i mean you can give me some belt you can give me it doesn't matter i'll do division three game in alaska i just love calling college football so in that same vein i just love seeing the different stadiums and just Mm -hmm. the different campuses a couple that that always come to mind because i again i've done a lot of american um in the day. So I think I've been to every single American stadium. Um, I can't say that about any other conference. I don't believe, but I know I've been to every American stadium. So Dowdy Ficklin, if you haven't been there in, in Greenville, North Carolina, where ECU plays, love that stadium. Great college vibe, love the stadium. They just did some, uh, renovations to it. I'm a fan of that. Um, you know, some of the bigger stadiums, you know, because, you know, I, I do a lot of group of five games. So I, I unfortunately just don't get a chance to do a lot of the bigger ones, which I'm not against. But I, a couple of years ago, I did get to go up to Gainesville. The Swamp was everything I thought it was going to be. I loved uh, that that stadium. Um, Doak Campbell. I've, I haven't been back to Doak Campbell in Tallahassee for FSU in a while. Um, it's been a few years. Um, but I just, I just love the stadium, the look of that stadium. Um, BYU. So that was a bucket list one for me. So... I guess it was three years ago, so it was before COVID. Lavelle Edwards Stadium, I got to go to BYU. And really, the amazing thing about that stadium, for those that don't know, is just the, the view, the, right. the mountains. It's just phenomenal. Utah State's another one. Uh, I've been up to Logan, Utah. I did a handful of games up there. Views are phenomenal. Um, one that you know brings me back to my New England roots, and I haven't been up there in a while, but I've done a few games, and I was always a fan of it. It's Alumni Stadium, Boston College, Chestnut Hill, just kind of like the setting on campus, kind of where it sits there. Uh, Carter Finley in North Carolina State is another one that I like the way it sits in there, and they're going to be a good team this year. Absolutely. Um, right, here in UC- right here in Orlando where I live, the bounce house. done a ton of games at UCF, and I've been to UCF games um, just as a fan. Um, and so that's a, that's a cool stadium. And then another bucket list one that I'm glad I got to do it because ultimately ESPN – uh, ended up uh, the Mountain West. They didn't renegotiate their contract, so I got to go up to Boise State and do a game at Elverson Stadium, the Blue Turf. So I'm glad I got to get up there. So yeah, I'm just a fan of, of multiple stadiums. So that was just about I don't know seven or eight that I threw out there that I really enjoy. But there's really not a bad stadium anywhere. Right. There really isn't. So even I mean, 
and you know they're you know I do a lot of Sunbelt too and a lot of these places are hard to get to but to me that that's the charm of it I love you know uh, you know Arkansas State's one if you haven't been to Arkansas State Jonesboro Arkansas awesome stadium awesome facilities it's got like a little river yeah, river that runs yeah. down yep. on rocks have you been to that one Bobby I haven't been there yet I've seen I've seen the pictures and everything though phenomenal but you know you fly into Memphis and then you drive up there so I did I did a Thursday night game there last year I've done a couple there love it. So that to me, that's kind of the charm. You do, you know, you do those games in Louisiana. Uh, you know, whether yep. it's uh, University of Louisiana, uh, you know, it's just you're driving. You know, you're flying into an airport and you're driving, and it's just you know, small towns. So that to me, that that that's part of the the pageantry of college football that I just love. I agree with you, and I I gotta say thank you so much for jumping on with me tonight. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, I hope I didn't go too long. I don't know how long your normal podcasts are, but I can sometimes be long-winded. But, no, man, I enjoy it. Anytime, give me a call. We can chat during the season. And, man, I hope you get out to some really great, great venues this year. Absolutely. I, I look forward to uh, communicating more with you. And maybe see, once you get your schedule, we can link up and and maybe we can go be at the same game together. Absolutely. That'd be awesome. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much to my listeners who tune in uh, to my show every week. I I really, really appreciate you guys. Have a good night. God bless.